Good morning. Today we are continuing our summer sermon series entitled Summer Vacation. And what we've been doing is looking at different stories in the scripture where there's a journey involved. And it's always been a physical journey. You start here, you go here. God says go here, whatever it might be. But today we're doing a different kind of journey. We're doing a journey that's not physical, but more internal. A a change in thinking, a change in heart, a change uh, in perspective and how we view God and his kingdom and ourselves and how it all fits together. So I'm going to encourage you, if you would, to turn to Matthew chapter 20, and we'll read that together. Matthew 20, verses 1 through 16. This is one of Jesus' parables. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked him, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one's hired us, they answered. He said, you also go and work in my vineyard. When the evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his supervisor, call the, the foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those who came were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us, who borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, friend, I'm not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Now this parable, when we first read it, it's a little bit disturbing and kind of unsettles us a little bit. Why should individuals who worked different amounts of time, especially the one who worked one hour, the ones who worked one hour, why should they get paid the same? It does not seem fair, does it? It doesn't seem just, and after all, we all want things to be fair. We want things to be treated justly and people to be treated justly. So why did Jesus tell this parable? Well, this parable flows directly out of Matthew 19, a chapter right before this. And the scenario is this. There's this large crowd of of people. They've gathered around because Jesus has been teaching and he's been healing and delivering and all sorts of things throughout the countryside. And there's a buzz been created about him. and, And understandably, there's a large crowd that gathers to hear him. And in the crowd, there, was a, there were different groups of people. There were the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And they were there primarily because they wanted to embarrass Jesus publicly. They wanted to trip him up. They wanted to, they wanted to trap him with their words, their questions. They wanted to make him look bad in front of the people, the crowd. Also in the crowd, there would have been a group of seekers. Those would have been the people who 
they were wanting to learn more about Jesus. Is this, is this the Messiah? Who is he? Is he really the Son of God? All these sorts of thoughts and questions must have been running through their minds. And so um, they would have been there to, to kind of check him out, and maybe they wanted to be healed or delivered or helped in some way, but they were, that was one group. And, of course, another group would have been the disciples. That would have been the disciples that Jesus had called, who had been spending the last several, last couple of years and months following him. And they, too, were still, their minds must have been spinning with all the things that Jesus did and said that kind of blew their mind. And they were still trying to figure out what does it mean to follow Jesus Christ. Well, in this setting, this crowd, there's also a young man, a rich young ruler, a rich young man, it says in Matthew 19. And he was one of the seekers, I think. He comes to Jesus and he asks Jesus a, a profound question. The most important question, really, to be asked is, what do I need to do to inherit the kingdom of God? What do I need to receive eternal life? What do I need to be saved, to do to be saved? And, and Jesus and he dialogue briefly. And, and Jesus, uh, in essence, says, if you want to inherit eternal life, then... Take everything you have. And he's a rich young man. Remember this. Take everything you have, sell it, and give it all away, all away to the poor. And, and the man, the scripture says, it was just too much for him. He couldn't quite get there. He couldn't quite do it. And so he, he walks away very, very sad. Well, at that moment... The disciple Peter, who is sort of the spokesman for the group, he was one of those guys that's in a group of guys or gals, and there's always one who asked a question that nobody, everybody else is thinking but is too afraid to ask. You know, he's, he was that guy. And he says, Master, remember this young man who's just walked away because he couldn't give up everything he had. He says, well, we've given up everything we have. We left everything we have to follow you. We've left it all behind. So... What's in it for us? What's going to be the reward? Will we get what we deserve? Now, at that point, like a teacher whose class isn't getting it, Jesus comes out from behind the desk and just kind of sort of figuratively, and he says, Let me tell you a little story. Let me help you to understand this. And he says, The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who goes out early in the morning, and we understand it would probably be sunset, or excuse me, sunrise, so maybe six o'clock or so, who goes out and he hires men to work in his vineyard. He agrees to pay them a denarius for the day and send them into the vineyards, it says. And this is a pretty familiar scenario. We're, you know, we're familiar with the scenario of maybe um, uh, you know, you're, you're cutting wheat, you need extra workers, and you go out and you find some people to help you do the job. And maybe it's, it's harvest time and you know the rain's coming soon or there's going to be a hailstorm the next day or maybe it's super, super hot and it's just going to burn everything up. It's going to be worthless. And so this, this, this landowner, this vineyard owner, he goes into town to get some extra help. He goes where the guys hang out who are looking for day jobs. And he finds some day laborers and they come to some sort of verbal agreement, a denarius for a day's work, which was the standard going rate. That's fair, Right. And then it says in verse 3, Jesus says, About the third hour, so it would have been about 9 o'clock, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace, doing nothing. He tells them, You also go and work in my vineyard, and I'll, I'll pay you what is right. He went about the sixth hour, about noon, and the ninth hour, 3 o'clock, and did the same thing. Now, what exactly is happening here? I mean, it seems obvious the landowner realizes at different points during the day that he's got too much work, too little sunlight, and not enough workers. 
So he goes back into town and he hires more. But isn't it a little bit odd that the landowner would have misjudged that badly? That he wouldn't have known how many workers that he needed? I can understand the first time, but three other times? How, how could he misjudge so badly how many workers that he needed to get the job done? But anyhow, regardless, he, he goes back at 9 and then noon and then 3 o'clock and he tells them, I'll pay you whatever is right. He doesn't say, I'll give you denarius. He says, I'll pay you whatever is right. And these guys take his word for it. I mean, after all, something at the end of the day is better than nothing, right? And so they show up and they do the work. Then it gets more curious in verse 6. About the 11th hour, and my, my translation said 5th hour, so about, you know, about towards the end of the day, 11th hour, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing around all day doing nothing? Nobody's hired us, they say. Well, why don't you come? Go and work in my vineyard as well. Now, all sorts of questions raised here. Why weren't these guys working? Okay, were they lazy? Did they oversleep and miss their first calls to work? Were they down in the bar tipping back some some brews. What were they doing? Had, you know, were they under? Were they not good enough workers? Maybe too young to do the job, too old, too weak, too infirm. We don't know. But regardless, it says that there's really no mention of wages this time. It doesn't say I'll give you a, a, a fair day's wage. It doesn't say I'll give you whatever's right. It doesn't say I'll give you whatever's fair. Interesting. I'll give you whatever's right. He just says, come and work for me. And they must have thought, you know, beggars can't be choosers. Maybe we'll get something out of this. If nothing at all, maybe we'll get our foot in the door for the next day when he comes back to hire workers. And so the day is done and it's time to hand out the wages. And it says in verse 8, when the evening came, the owner said to his foreman, the supervisor, call the workers and pay them their wages. Begin with the last ones hired and go on to the first, which again is a little bit unorthodox, but we've already established he's kind of a unorthodox business owner. It says in verse 9, the workers who were hired at the 11th hour at 5 o'clock came and each received a denarius. And they must have thought, wow, we get a full day's wage for one hour work. What a deal. We can go home and feed our families. And the guys in the back of the line who started at 6 in the morning, they must have been thinking, this is sweet. And they're doing the math in their head, thinking we're really going to score here. Verse 10. So when those who were hired first came, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. I mean, who wouldn't, right? These men who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you've made them equal to us, who've borne the burden of the day and the heat of the day. Twelve hours of work in the blistering heat, working their butts off, and they get paid the same as the guys who show up for one hour just in time to sort of maybe clean things up and put away the tools. That does not seem fair. But notice something unusual about their complaining. They don't gripe that they should have gotten more. He got the denarius, so we should get 12 or whatever. They gripe that the others should have gotten less. You made them equal to us, they complain, which is an interesting way to, to put it. Landowner responds, friend, I'm not being unfair to you. You know, didn't you agree to work for Denarius? Wasn't that the contract? Take your pay and go home. If I want to give to the man who worked less hours the same amount as I gave you, that's my business. What is it to you if I want to be generous? Now, notice that he's fair. He, I mean, he's firm, but he's gentle. 
I gave you what I promised you. You should be happy that you got what I promised you. You got a fair day's wage for a fair day's work. If I want to be generous, what's that to you? And then Jesus says at the end of the parable, that's how it works in the kingdom of heaven. There's the clincher. The first will be last and the last will be first. Now, one of the first steps in figuring out a parable is is establishing who's who and what's what, okay? So in this story, the, the who's who. The vineyard represents the kingdom of God, obviously. In the Old Testament, the, old, the vineyard the image of the vineyard really was used to kind of speak about God's people, the nation of Israel, the, his chosen people. And Jesus expands that, okay, to the, to the kingdom of heaven, to all who believe. The landowner represents God, okay, the wages represent eternal life. This comes on the heels of, you know, the interaction between the rich young ruler and, and Jesus and Peter's question. And the workers hired first represent the people of Israel. Jesus came first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. And the workers hired last represent the Gentiles, which is going to include pretty much all of us. That's who's who. Okay. The second key to a parable is looking for the surprise. In a parable, there's always a twist or a turn like, oh, I didn't expect that. Huh, wonder why that's in there. I didn't see that coming. Well, the surprise here is pretty obvious. The late coming workers get paid the same pay as the ones who started at the beginning of the day. And it's just not unusual and surprising. It just seems very unfair. But the landowner says it's not unfair. The guys who worked all day got paid what they got promised. It's just that some workers got more than they deserve because... I'm generous. Another tip for interpreting parables. Sometimes you can find other parables um, that were being told at the same time and compare them. You know, Jesus wasn't the only rabbi who would have been using stories and parables to try to bring home a point or or truth. And we're aware of a couple parables that kind of have similar storylines. In one of those parables, there's a rabbi who would teach that two hour workers are paid the same as all day workers. But in this story, the two-hour workers were paid the same because they worked harder, okay, than the guys who worked all day. Well, that seems fair, all right? Uh, in another parable, they all work the same hours, but they get paid differently, which seems unfair at first. But then the story says that they work different jobs. Some have more responsibility. Some jobs are harder. And so you think, well, that seems fair. I mean, there must have been management, I guess. I, I don't know. But in those other parables, people are paid on the basis of their performance. They work harder. They have more responsibility. They have a unique gift set. They get paid more. But in Jesus' parable, the workers all get paid the same. Performance has nothing to do with it. Jesus says that's how the kingdom of heaven works. It's not based on merit. It's not based on our goodness. It's based upon God's goodness, and it's based upon God's grace. And grace really is just another word for generosity, isn't it? Grace is undeserved favor. Getting something that we do not deserve. Grace means that God is good to people, not because they deserve it, but simply because God likes to be good to his people. Grace means that anybody can get into heaven if they respond to the master's call and, and, they, and they come and they follow him. Even those who show up at the last minute, even those who have kept God at arm's length their entire lives, 
even those who have done horrible, awful things. Jesus says, everybody can get into heaven by the same way, grace. And he he says, do you have a problem with that? Some of you might remember the name Ted Bundy. Uh, Ted Bundy was one of the most notorious serial killers in, in American history. And he was executed in 1989. But before he was executed, I remember it quite well, well, he was on death row. He claimed to have had a conversion experience with, with Jesus Christ. You hear about that sometimes. You, you get a little skeptical. Okay, what's, what's that about? And anyhow, he confessed to his crimes. He proclaimed Christ as his Lord and Savior. And uh, his final act on the day before he was executed was to give a, a radio interview to James Dobson, the well-known Christian psychologist on the radio. And the point of his message was to say, don't go down my path. It was to warn people against the dangers of pornography, which he said fueled his wickedness. Now, nobody knows the true condition of Ted Bundy's heart at that time. God does. But if there was true repentance, if there was genuine faith in Christ, then this parable suggests to us that he enters the kingdom of heaven along with Sunday school teachers and missionaries and people like you and me sitting here in worship. And the landowner in the parable says, you have a problem with that. Can't I be generous with my grace however I choose? And we answer that question with, well, with our own questions. That's not fair. That doesn't seem just. Shouldn't people get what they deserve, both for better and for worse? You know, this, this desire for justice runs deep in us. You know, anybody who knows anything about kids is that when they're little, you have to teach them to say thank you and please. You do not have to teach little kids to say that's not fair, right? They instinctively will say that's not fair. We all have that tendency, right? It's hardwired into our brains. When a little brother gets more time on the Xbox or a little sister gets the better seat in the car or you scoop out ice cream, God forbid that you have a little bit more in one or the other. It's not fair, okay? We don't have to teach people to say it's not fair. This sense of justice runs deep in us, and that's not a bad thing because it's a reflection of the image of God within each person that he's ever created. But it needs to be tempered with justice and humility. You know, it's interesting, this, this is universal But there was an incredible, interesting study done that kind of showed some differences about where you live and where you grow up. There was a study done with fifth grade children. One group was American, the other was Filipino. And they were given a couple different scenarios where they had to distribute resources to a group of people. Like, I don't know what it was, but I can't remember. Maybe it was food or something. Okay, you guys decide what you're going to do with this. And here's these people over here. What are you going to do with it? Well, in one scenario, both groups of kids gave equal amount of resources to all the people but they gave different reasons for doing it. The American kids said said they gave equal amounts to everybody because they deserved it. The Filipino kids gave equal amounts to everybody, they said, was that nobody would feel bad. Hmm. They did another scenario, different experiment, same deal, but this time they gave the kids, they, they gave them amounts, different amounts, different scenario, and so this time, the kids, both groups, gave different amounts to different people. They were, quote, you know, give them this much, 40%, 20%, whatever. Again, the kids gave different reasons for why they did what they did. The American kids gave out amounts based upon 
people's performance. The Filipino kids gave out different amounts based upon people's needs. wonder where they learned that. You know, the merit system is not a bad thing. You know, we, it's not a bad thing. We, we, if we work hard and we, we do our best, you know, uh, we think we're going to get rewarded. We'll get that bonus at the end of the year. Maybe we'll, we'll get that shot on the team or, or we'll, we'll get a higher grade or whatever. It and, and that works you know, fairly well, the merit system does, for, for school and work and sports. But when we bring the merit system into the spiritual realm, we're in big trouble. See, a lot of us can believe that there's some version of the ledger approach, the scales, the balance. At the end of our lives, if we've done enough good things, it outweighs the bad. Well, we'll get into heaven because we've earned it, because we deserve it. But the problem is trying to get into heaven by good works is like going to the mall with a bunch of monopoly money in your wallet. You know, you you try to buy something with those little pink and blue and whatever color those bills are. It's not going to work. The currency does not work there. It won't operate there. It can't buy you anything. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, does not operate on the basis of merit or performance, but upon grace. And the landowner says, do you have a problem with that? In the end, it's a good way, good thing that it does work that way, because None of us have enough good works to earn our way into heaven. Some may have more good works than others. That's true. No debating that. But remember what Jesus also said in another place. He said, unless your righteousness surpasses the righteousness of the most righteous person, you know. I don't know for us, other Teresa, Billy Graham, whoever. Unless you're more righteous than those people, forget about it. You're not getting in. You don't have a shot. He's not saying that, those, that they get in because of their righteousness. He's just saying, making a point that nobody gets in based upon our righteousness, our goodness. In fact, the Bible tells us that what we truly deserve is, is separation from God. Not because we're horrible, awful people, but because of sin in our lives. We all fall short of what God calls us to do. We all make mistakes. You know, it's... Sometimes intentionally, sometimes not. But when we cut ourselves off from God, in a sense, we, we die because God is a source of life. It's like cutting a branch off of a tree. It's going to shrivel up and die because it's cut off from a source of life. The Bible says in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. And it's interesting in, in light of our conversation here that wages is a term that's used. Given our sense that we ought to get paid what we deserve. The good news is, is that Romans 6, 23 does not end with the wages of sin is death. It says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And that word gift is, again, another variation of the word grace. It means simply that if we turn to Christ and put our faith in him, if we accept his death for our sins, if we stop trying to earn it in a sense, and allow him to do it for us. Sure, we're called to do good works, but it's a response, not a way of earning it. If we, if we do that, if we allow him to make us into the person that we're meant to be, we can enter the kingdom of heaven, not because we deserve it again, but because of his grace. Before I close, a closing story I want to use is from C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite authors, and it's a story called Till We Have Faces. And in this story, it's sort of a redemptive retelling 
of the Greek myth of Cupid and Psyche. And the protagonist of the story is a woman named Euryale. And Euryale is, is the sister of Psyche, and she is just angry with the gods for a variety of reasons. She's bitter, she's angry. She feels like she's gotten the short end of the stick in life. Her sister is better looking than she is. Her sister has fallen in love with Cupid and now has left her, and, and she's all alone, and she begins, she's very angry with the gods. She's angry with her plot in life. She doesn't think it's fair. She's not gotten what she deserves. And her jealousy and bitterness end up ruining lives, her life and the life of her sister. At the end of the story, she's called to come before the gods and give an account at the end of her life for what she's done, for her deeds. And she's afraid. And she wonders out loud to her wise old grandpa if she dares to hope for mercy when she goes before them. And the old man answers, Be sure of one thing, whatever else you get, you will not get justice. She asks, Are the gods not just? Oh no, child, he replied. What would become of us if they were? In the kingdom of heaven, we do not get what we deserve. Thank God for that. We get something much, much better. We get forgiveness. We get eternal life. We get love and joy and peace that's not based upon our performance. We get grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your great grace. We thank you for uh, the, the words of your Son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you for um, the fact that we are saved and we are loved um, because of what you've done. Not because of what we've done or who we, who we are, but simply based upon your love for us expressed through your Son, Jesus. Thank you, God, that we have received something we do not deserve. Thank you for your grace. Amen.